Hi, it's Taylor. Quickly jumping in before the episode starts to let you know that we've changed our name and are now Sisters Assemble. You can find our updated social handles in the show notes. Enjoy the show! Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories podcast. Today we have another super fun episode for you guys while we do the next round of our Marvel Replay series. Katie, why don't you talk a little bit more about what movies we will be tackling in today's episode? All right, so if you have been sticking around with us, you know we're now on our second episode for the Marvel Replay. That means that we are going to be covering Iron Man 1 and 2, and I know for the hardcore Marvel fans especially, you're going to question, well, there is a movie missing. Um, yes. But is there really? I um, think it's one that Marvel kind of wants us to forget. And so we're choosing to. Um, And we're just going to do both Iron Mans right off the bat. We're going to choose not to even discover what the depths of the Incredible Hulk are. But also at the same time, I, I want to preface, and I, I believe we've said this before, but I want to make it clear once again, our Marvel replay has been based off the Disney Plus movies and what are on the Disney Plus site. So that means that eventually when Spider-Man comes along, we will also be skipping over those for the time being since they are not presently on Disney Plus. Um, with the caveat being, you know, there are rumors that there's a deal in place that those will eventually be coming to Disney Plus, potentially in early 2022, or possibly late this year. But that seems like a bit of a pipe dream at this point. Um, we will go back and we will do probably both of the Yeah, I guess the first. We'll do our, yeah, we'll do a Spider-Man episode when they do come available. So they won't be exactly in timeline order, but we will have our own little Spider-Man dedicated episode. Since he was a little special and a little late to the Disney Plus party. But anyway, <laughs> back to Iron Man 1 and 2. Yes. So obviously starting with the first one, since I feel like we all know a number order. <laughs> I, I have to say it was, this was probably the biggest nostalgic trip for me because while it wasn't fully, I believe, my first Marvel movie, although it might have been, I don't remember. This movie came out when I was probably like eight. You were um, in second grade, and I'll tell you why I know that. <laughs> in our school, where we went to elementary school, there is a special fifth grade trip to Philadelphia where they bust all of the fifth graders down. We go to the Constitution Center, the whole thing. It's kind of like your reward, I guess, for like successfully almost completing elementary school and you get to go do whatever. Or not do whatever, like it's educational also. But I distinctly remember watching this movie or at least part of this movie on the bus ride back from my fifth grade trip to Philadelphia or there or back, one of the two. Um, and so that's how I will forever know that I was watching Iron Man for the first time when I was in fifth grade. Yeah, I mean, I don't quite have that specific of a memory. <laughs> um, but I will say I just, I do distinctly remember watching it when I was young. Um, and I know there was definitely a gap for me between where I really got into Marvel and seeing the first Iron Man, but it was always the first Iron Man. And yeah. that's all I like really remember is that I saw that movie and I know I didn't see some of the next few consecutively and everything, but I, that, that is just always Iron Man 1. So I think, and I think that feels fair for most of every, or like I should say almost everyone, because technically it was the real beginning of the MCU. As we know it today. Yes. 
There so, were forefathers and foremothers, you know, Blade and, you know, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, the original X-Men trilogy, for sure. But and the, even all the way back to the TV shows, you know, like yeah. there were definitely things going on. But the contained MCU, the way we know it, has always been marked with an initial date of 2008 with the release of the fantastic Iron Man 1. And I really like that at this point, with the knowledge we've acquired with now, obviously, with Shang-Chi, I really, really like that now we can talk about Iron Man because I absolutely love that we can talk about the Ten Rings organization where we really saw Or is it the Ten Rings organization? Well, I don't know. (laughs) And maybe that's part of it is I don't know. But I really like that now we have a little bit more of a slight depth to it because, you know, it was just kind of a, uh, for a long time, I think it was just a part of the movie, part of the plot. But now we see that depth and I really like that. So let's just get right into Iron Man 1. When we did the rewatch, how'd you feel? Oh, wow. It brought up so many emotions, I think, you know, because it is the first one. Um, And I think possibly more than any other character other than Natasha and Steve, we know that Tony's arc is complete. Other characters, you know, we thought Loki's was complete. He's still alive. But those three, you know, unless they're brought back in a multiversal state, they're done. And so there was, I think, an extra special sweetness for me going back, knowing what Tony becomes and how he evolves as Iron Man, as a man, as a husband, and as a father, and a friend, and an Avenger, to then go back and watch him. I mean, he's kind of a jerk. I mean, let's put it out there. He's a jerk at the beginning of this movie. That that they make it a point to make him a jerk because yeah, you that's have That's not to- a secret. No. But I think it's even more in contrast then when you've seen the completion of his character arc. And to be honest, I've not watched Iron Man since I've seen Endgame. So this was my first time going back after watching Tony die and having him make that sacrifice play that Cap said he was never capable of. So there was an extra special, I think, sweetness. I just think beyond that, the movie's just fun. It is just, 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 it made me laugh. I love the music. I just love his swagger. I think it really, you know, post-Civil War, I really struggle with Tony. I mean, I think we've established this. We're both very firmly on team. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have a lot of complicated feelings related to Tony after that movie. But it really made me fall back in love with his character and remember why I love Tony Stark so much. So I really, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, and I want to start off with going with that second point you you just said. To your point, we went Team Cap. Uh, I'm sure when we hit Civil War, that is definitely going to be drilled in, and why. <laughs> um, but I think for me, I forgot how much the first two Iron Mans, that he is such a likable character by being so annoying. Yeah, it's <laughs> like... And I, I think for me, a good point is, you know, once we hit especially Civil War, you kind of like, he really, his character arc shifts. And I don't like necessarily the direction it ended up going. And then it got better in Endgame, you know, they completed it. But he yeah, had his little... Kind of lovable rogue in his own movies, like, especially one and two. Yeah. Like, almost like a pirate type figure, you know? Yeah. And then he kind of becomes, like, he he's supposed to grow into this mature leader, but he almost becomes too rigid, which I think is funny because that's what he says Cap is. I'm, I'm not, I'm really trying not to bring in Civil War here. But he becomes 
too rigid almost in that leadership role. Um, and he almost completely goes to the other side of the spectrum from where he was before. Well, I have to say, out of all of the big threes origin movies, I actually think, now obviously I'm not going to go against what I said before. I love the first Avenger. But I think the actual character development that happens to Tony is probably my favorite. And I think it's the most interesting. Within the movie? Yeah, 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 within the movie. Yeah. Because I think you see this man who is so egotistical. I mean, he's off of his dad's company that he grew up knowing he was always going to run. He's a genius. Like, he's aware of all of this stuff. And he's very, like, he shows it. You know, he shows that he's aware. And this big thing happens to him that, like, you can't just gloss over this fact. I mean. Very humbling. Yeah, and he immediately, he shuts his company down. He immediately wants to change the entire narrative of everything his father worked for. And granted, that's a whole different development. But <laughs> uh, his relationship with Howard, whatever, we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But, um, and if not in this episode, later down the road. But I just, I think it's very interesting how it comes about and how he takes on this role of a hero. And honestly, at the same time, it's one of the most selfish things to do which is very interesting. It's so I'm so glad you brought that up because it's such a weird dichotomy that like, so he he doesn't want them to make weapons. He doesn't want the company to make weapons anymore because he's seen what happens and he's seen the consequences firsthand. Yet he creates what is quite possibly, and the government brings this up in later hearings, the most lethal weapon of all, but he keeps it to himself. And so there is this sense where it's like, is he doing this for out of a sense of responsibility or a sense of just inflated ego because he doesn't believe he can, like anybody can do it the way he can do it. Well, and you could see that at the very end of the movie when instead of going into the situation with the cards that they're giving him, quite literally the cop-out, he sits there and he, no, I am Iron Man. Oh, yeah. He he takes it all in. and So I think it's really interesting because for all the right reasons, yet for all the wrong reasons, is how he becomes Iron Man. And it just kind of blows my mind. And that's why I really, really like just his character development in that first film, because that's what you see. You see that like, oh, he's still exactly who he was at the beginning of the movie. But now he's built this suit that people idolize him in, which is what he loves even more. Yeah. So I, I that's probably I my favorite like, part. At the same time, he feels a sense of responsibility that he didn't before. So like, that's the one change. Like his personality is exactly the same. The fact that he, like, still lies and kind of manipulates and, like, you know, all that stuff with Pepper, like, finding him, like, being taken out of the suit and all that stuff, like, hilarious. But, like, he's still lying and manipulating. He just now feels like he's doing it with a sense of purpose that I don't think he felt like he had before. Well, and you know what? I like that you say that because while we're obviously not going to get there, I think that is the biggest part of his character arc, especially through Civil War. Yeah. So that's a great point. but. I want to bring up something that I don't know if I let it bother me before as much, but it definitely bothered me now that I watched it again after quite a bit of time. I want to understand where Howard and Obadiah's friendship stems from and what that background is. Yeah. How the heck does Obadiah Stane get control of that? I mean, I understand Tony was too young, so I I understand that logistics, but... So someone had to take it, take a step in and be that well, person. Why, Ob- why Obadiah? And, why? But, and where did he come from? Because yeah. 
they in that little montage, you know, they they showed that okay, obviously he was a big part of the company, so Howard clearly trusted him. And I just want to understand, like, we see a lot of different clips of Howard throughout time because they do a great job in the MCU of really doing the whole okay, here was this, like, this was his part in the World War II, and here he was when the Winter Soldier, you know, and, you know, unbelievable thing happened. Yeah, you know, that thing happened that wasn't Bucky's fault. Um, and, <laughs> and then, you know, we see that clip in Endgame, you know, we see Howard in multiple places. Also, is it, I don't, I don't remember if he is now. It's been a while since I watched Ant-Man, but isn't he yes. in one of, okay, I've been that's, of re-watching Ant-Man. Yes, he is. Okay, we that is what I thought. Younger Hank Pym and a younger Peggy as well. Yeah. Okay, I remember. Yeah, I remember those two. I couldn't remember if Howard was in that one. So we see him throughout time. And something I'm also going to bring up when we move a little bit further into Iron Man 2 then is my issue with the whole, like, your dad screwed us over. <laughs> and then it became Tony's issue. Um, because if you're not going to give us context on more of what Howard did, it frustrates me. Because I want to know the history. What did he fully do? How, what was the full story? Like, I don't want a little two-minute thing. I want to understand. I so. actually think I love that point. I'm always looking for ways to create new Disney Plus shows. Personally, I'm like, hey, Marvel, like, have you ever thought about this person in this time period? But, no, like, right. so now that Agent, Agent, was it Agent Carter? Yeah, now that Agent Carter, its status as canon is questionable at best especially given the events of Endgame because that is one area where we do see a little bit of Howard in a in a previously unexplored time period like that post-World War II period he features I mean he's very heavily featured in the show I would love then in the absence of Agent Carter being canon for them to create a you know Howard Stark centered show I want to know more about his relationship with Peggy after the war more about the founding of S.H.I.E.L.D. How the heck did he meet Maria? Like, let's talk about that. Like, he was a ladies' man. Like, I want to know more about Tony's mom. I think she's in, like, two scenes, and one of them is her death. Like, let's talk about Maria. Let's talk about how he met Obadiah. Let's talk about the, like, Stark Industries and how it evolved over time. Let's explore a little bit more about Tony's childhood and his relationship with his father. Like, I think there's, like, Howard Stark, for having as little screen time as he does is one of the most impactful characters in the MCU. And I think that there's so much left there to explore about his life that I think it would be a really, really big gift to MCU fans to give us that context and make it so much more richer. I would love that. For those who can't see, and that's everyone <laughs> except Taylor, I am nodding very forcefully because I completely agree. And I don't think I understood how much I thought of this, which is obviously why I brought it up, until I did the rewatch this next time around. And I and I don't want to try to, like, be combining one and two. But, I mean, both of their premises, I mean, obviously Obadiah has, like, some of his other reasons. He's got, he's on some power trip thing. But this was a trusted man of Howard. I want to, under, like, he was essentially a step-in father for Tony. So yeah. I want to understand where he came from. And then for the second one, I want to understand the whole, like, issue with, and I'm blanking on his name. What is his name? Oh, um, uh, Mickey Rourke's character. Yeah. Which, I, um, oh, my goodness. Um, I can picture him so perfectly. I could, I could see all these scenes he's in, and I can't think of his name. Isn't it 
It's it's like with an I. It's um Ivan. Ivan. Ivan's father. I mean, the whole reason he takes the revenge on Tony is because of something Tony's father did to his. So yeah. I need to see this. I need this background. So if you're gonna make two of Tony's movies primarily about what his father did, I need the history. I need to see it. I need to understand because I don't love, like, and then maybe this is because Marvel spoiled us and we've now seen so much character development. We've seen these small characters come into so much more. Even villains, we've seen where they've been created. Like, I think of Black Panther as a great example. We literally see the scene that essentially is why Killmonger becomes Killmonger because his freaking dad was murdered. Like, <laughs> by his own brother. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, like, that to me, okay, I saw what happened <laughs> and I, I like I get it and that's how, that's part of the reason I think he's so sympathetic of a villain so I want I want to understand not just be like oh well your dad like no I need I need more of this I need the context and that's why I, and to be fair Iron Man 1 and 2 were some of the first Marvel movies I was just gonna say like yeah. you're comparing early Marvel to they got much better like they're I think this is something that a lot of fans have said is like Early on, their villains were one-dimensional. You know, yeah. they wanted power, they wanted this or that. And it was, like, you know, not as nuanced. But this, it's really, like, Killmonger is really that, like, turning point where they were able to craft a truly sympathetic villain. And so I think that's something they got better at at time. I definitely see your point, and I definitely want more information on Obadiah. I just think at this point in time, Marvel was not quite equipped to go that in-depth and nuanced. Oh, yeah, and I definitely agree. I just, like, like that was probably my biggest flaw, I think, when I rewatched it was just because I feel like so much is based off of something we don't know anything about. And it feels like it's kind of written off in that one or two lines, and that's why we need to understand the whole, like, oh, this is the villain. And it feels too surface, and I need more than that. And so that's probably my biggest complaint about, especially Iron Man 1, because I genuine, genuinely think besides that, I that it's probably one of the best especially early on movies oh it's Um, so good it is just I mean it's just rip-roaring fun yeah I mean I do wish a little bit that um we maybe understood and granted now Shang-Chi is in a weird place with this but I kind of wish we understood a little bit more about the Ten Rings organization because obviously we know that Obadiah like essentially paid them to murder Tony. Um, but, and that I liked, I liked that, like that little background thing that he was involved with all of that. I really liked that part of the movie. Yeah, I liked how executed. Yeah. But I want to know, you know, what happened then? What, like, we just see the big battle between Obadiah and him. And I, I want to know more about, okay, what happened to the Ten Rings organization that, you know, Obadiah was essentially paying and giving all this stuff to and he clearly cut them off and then clearly died. So, <laughs> you know, that was a thing. Yeah, but- and I think that's interesting, too, that you bring that up because they so clearly show him finding the remains of Tony's, like, initial Iron Man suit, like Mark, I guess he calls it Mark One, in the desert. So it's almost like they're setting up that to be the sequel, and then they went in a completely different direction. Yeah. Um, either that or they're just foreshadowing Ironmonger, which is a completely, you know, viable theory as well well no they found um they found it and that was the suit obadiah wore they like fixed it was it yeah <laughs> no i thought i no, thought you, they, like they do it in the it's like maybe 30 40 minutes in the movie 
They find the suit. No, I know they find it. Well, and I'm pretty sure when Obadiah goes to get them, he, like, take, he says, take the stuff, and, like, that's the suit that he has. He couldn't make that on his own. They, (laughs) They used all the scraps, and they put it all back together. Oh. Sorry, guys. To be really transparent with you, I did this this part of the rewatch probably two months ago, so it's getting a little fuzzy. Well, I'm going to use that as a little jumping point. I have to point this out, and I will point it out now, and I'm, I might forget I point it out and point it out again, considering the movie I'm referencing is in the next episode. But I love, one of my favorite scenes is that beautiful scene where, beautiful, maybe I shouldn't call it that, it's a little, it's not beautiful, but like cinematically, it's beautiful when, oh my gosh, I almost called her Peggy, um, when Pepper <laughs> um, is sitting there, and it's that scene where the her and Coulson and all the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are looking for Obadiah, and she hears the chains, like, clinking. Oh my so she god. She walks over, the eyes light up, and then he comes out, and he goes after her, and it's that, like, we see it dead on almost as if we're in a tunnel and, and she's, she's running to you. Yeah. Yes. And I love that the parallel follows in Avengers when the Hulk goes after Natasha while they're still on the, the ship. Yeah. They show the same. I love the parallel and it's one of my favorite scenes. And I like that they did it in two separate ways. And I also really like, for me, I see it as the monster within because at the end of the day, yeah, it was Obadiah, not Iron Man or like not Tony. But the suit going after Pepper, we see it again in a different movie as well. And I, I like that kind of idea. And then unfortunately, while I don't like the whole Hulk Natasha thing, it's still that monster coming after. Like, there's still that monster within kind of aspect. And I really like, like, that deeper idea to it. So it's one of my favorite scenes out of the entire film is that one. That's a good point. I want to switch gears completely because I think there's something that really has with the exception of the aforementioned Hulk, has not happened really since, at least to a major character in the MCU, which is a major, major recasting between one and two of our lovable Rhodey. And I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, full-on fantastic choice. I mean, Don Cheadle is Rhodey. It was so weird to me to watch... Nothing is wrong with, I forget, I'm terrible with the original actors. Oh, Terrence Howard, yes. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with Terrence Howard's performance. You know, I thought he was good, but wrote. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, just uh, good. (laughs) He was good, but Don Cheadle is Rhodey in the same way that, like, Robert Downey is. Iron Man like there are just some people who fit roles so well and I just think that Terrence Howard didn't fit it the way that Don Cheadle does he's too he's too rigid whereas Rhodey knows how like Don Cheadle's Rhodey knows how to work Tony and like bend where he needs to and like show flexibility where he needs to to ultimately like like herd Tony like a cat to where he needs to be well something I think is very interesting is that in all of Iron Man's trilogy even, um, and I only want to briefly bring up the entire trilogy, I think they make it, because in the first movie they make Rhodey very Mr. Military, they continue that arc a lot. And not that he do- isn't, but, I mean, we see that very prevalently in Iron Man 2. Um, they continue that big, like, oh, for the, mil- for the good of the country, like, and he stops with Tony completely. I mean, there's a whole fight scene. Obviously, we'll get into Iron Man 2 
soon, um, so I don't want to jump too far, but I really like that Don Cheadle was not scared of taking the risk of taking the character in a different direction, mm-hmm. in which he did in Civil War, in Infinity War, in Endgame, and all of the other things that he's been in since. And so I think that the initial Rhodey that we see in the first Iron Man was good for that role. I don't think he would have been able to pull off that character arc of his own that Rhodey had. I think that was just something Don Cheadle is able to execute so well. And I also just, I don't know, I, my biggest pet peeve, and it's obviously you can't undo it, but it's that we don't see Don Cheadle being the one who says, I need to get myself one of those when he I talks know. about the suit. I know. It's my biggest complaint because it makes me so sad because obviously we see him take on a suit then as War Machine in the very next movie, but it's it's Don, you know? like, And I, it just makes me so sad that he's not the one who was able to execute that line as well because I just it, it's just it's him he is war machine you know there yeah. is no one else I agree I think that is a perfect leap into Iron Man 2 yeah I mean this is where we're gonna see war machine I freaking love Iron Man 2 and I think people need to address the fact that it is a very good sequel um it's not as good as cap sequel but it is very close in second place for multiple reasons for me I really, really love the big fight scene. The one at the Stark Expo? Yes. Like, that is... I, when I think of Iron Man 2, the first scene I immediately think of is Tony and Rhodey Mm -hmm. in that garden terrarium building fighting all those droids or drones or whatever you want to call them. I mean, it's synonymous and it is iconic for Iron Man 2. I agree. It's just, it's so good. It's so good. No, and I agree. And here's my thing. I freaking love Hammer. I think he's so funny. funny. And he's so, at the same time, in the nicest of ways, stupid. And it's amazing because isn't he like the CEO of his company or whatever? It's like like so naive. Like, I'm just going to pluck this black market dealing Russian man off the streets because he hates Tony Stark as much as I do. And we're going to together and I'm gonna buy him a bird like uh, what <laughs> he he is I don't even know I don't even know and I really actually like I just don't even I don't know how to tell you how much I love him and so the rumor that he possibly may be coming back makes me very very happy same because yeah because I mean he, I he just he's so funny and I just I love the entire plot of the movie because you start off thinking that Ivan's gonna be like this really big bad. But that battle happens within the first, what, 15, 20 minutes of... Very early on. Because it happens in one of my favorite settings in all of... I mean, favorite Earth settings. Because there are some pretty amazing outer world settings. Let's just say this. It's a great setting. It's up there in the top five for me. And that's the race in Monaco. Oh my god. I have never been like a racing person. That's just like not where my interests are. I've never even really cared that much about Monaco. But then I recently rewatched this movie and I was like, I need to be at the Monaco Grand Monaco yeah, Monaco Grand Prix at some point in my life and be dining out over the racetrack before I die. Like it just needs to happen. Well, and you know what? I now I might be cutting my idea into a different direction, but just in general, I like that this I this film had multiple levels of conflict. Yeah. And I like that it started with what we thought we knew. And then, you know, oh, he goes to jail. 
they're like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> you know, and it, it kind of like that goes in a completely different direction. And then, you know, Hammer literally breaks him out of a high security jail. Um, let's just talk about that. <laughs> so crazy and I love it. Yeah. And has him working for him. So you're like, okay, so Hammer's like not a good guy. But then you're like, he's literally only doing it to show up, Tony. Like, it's not for any, he's not trying to harm anyone. Yeah. He's really not a villain. And he gets exploited. He's a naive, angry, competitive CEO man. Yes. And he gets exploited. Um, so I, I love that issue. I And that's like a, definitely the big over top one. I love the underlying of Tony being poisoned by the thing keeping him alive. I think that entire oh, thing yeah. is very interesting. And then how he has to keep that from Pepper. And like, I just, because I mean, you know me, and we, we've established my love for romance. I love the way their relationship really evolves in this movie and become like, this is the movie where they go from secretary and boss and, you know, close friend and confidant to, you know, they make, they make those steps to be more. And it's such an interesting dichotomy because as they're taking these steps to be closer and be more intimate in a more romantic way, he's lying to her about the fact that he's literally dying. And that's just like so interesting. But I especially love, and I just think this movie is very cohesive for having so many moving parts, which is why I think I love it so much. I love that the fact that he, not, I didn't love the fact that he was dying, but I, uh, let me, let me finish the full sentence before it comes out weird. I love the fact that what, even though he was dying, that is what they used to bring in S.H.I.E.L.D. That is how they brought in Natasha and, and Fury fully into it. I love that that was the idea behind it. Yeah, I really do. And I, and I liked that there was also the aspect of, you know, this is what your dad left behind. You're the only person who can do it. This will help you. And I like that there was a deeper layer to that as well. You are Obviously, the heir not only to your father's fortune, but to your father's mind in so many ways. Yes. Yeah. And obviously, as a very big Natasha stan, obviously I love this movie. Like This is the first time we see her and she looks That's amazing. Awesome. It is very cool to see Natasha. She's kicking booty from the beginning. I I know we're skipping ahead a little bit, but I want to take on a little bit of the comedy real quick. I think and it's it's the first the first example of fantastic comedy is Natasha Bass. So that's why I'm sagging into this. But okay, I just got to say happy. Yes. Just, he's an angel baby and I love him so much and <laughs> The scene when they're trying to get into, I believe it's Hammer Industries. Yes. It takes 10 or 15 minutes to punch out this one guy. He's taking hits, he's taking hits, <laughs> and he turns around. And Natasha took out 30 operatives and is just like, what took you so long? Oh, my God. Well, I want to go back to even, I thought you were going to say this first, um, but that's the a great thing. example. Yes, the backseating, their first interaction when he's like, he's about to give her pointers, puts a hand on her, she freaking lays him out. That is the best part. And not only does she lay him out, but she does her signature, I'm going to grab your head between my thighs move that she does to literally every, almost every man in the MCU. It's just the first example of her signature move. She does her signature pose that... uh, She's a poser. Yeah, because, you know, Yelena has to get her information from somewhere and has it has to have examples. Like, it's just such a good introduction to the character. And I know, you know, Scarlett has come out and said that there are some things that she's not happy with about the sexualization of the character early on. 
But I think aside from that, if you're going to talk about mannerisms and traits and especially movements, like it's so consistent, the moves that she uses in this movie versus the moves she'll use in later movies. So that part I really, I think is really great. I do agree that she's like, I was actually kind of, I don't want to say I was surprised because I kind of remembered it being this way, but she was incredibly sexualized. And I like definitely noted that like when I watched it, because I think it was like not long before Black Widow was coming out when I was doing my rewatch. So I was like, oh, like now I, you know, kind of remember this because I think that was right around the time that she was starting to talk about that. Like there's one line where she talks, Tony talks about her as, Tony and Pepper kind of either talk about her as like literally like a thing and then Pepper calls her like a potential lawsuit or something. Yeah, it's in that first scene where he's like, I want one. Like, (laughs) like, like she's an object and like Scarlett was talking about how that line like still bothers her because of the way it like, you know, characterizes Black Widow. But I think, you know, and that's a very valid point. I think aside from that, I really enjoyed her introduction in this movie. Well, and I just have one more thing to say. Um, And this is kind of the flip side on the other side of uh, like what you just made a point to say. I will point out, I think. We see this very well in Iron Man 2. We see it very much in Captain America 2. I really, really like how she is Black Widow. Um, and let me go into that just very quickly. Um, I think from what I've always gathered of Black Widow, even from the comics, she's supposed to be this mysterious, like, she's got those perfect little one-liner kind of thing, but she's not overly, uh, like, you know, she's not very emotional. She's very stoic. You know, she's just... She's an assassin. Like, what do you expect? Like, she's not going to be everyone's best friend kind of thing. I think we see, especially with the undercover and when then when she flips to being Black Widow and comes out in her suit and is fighting. And even when she's with Nick Fury and talking to Tony, I think we see that, that very, like, stoic, you know, put together. She's very mysterious as a figure. And so I really like to see that in Iron Man 2. We see it a lot in Captain America. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they do away with that later on, which was really annoying to me because I really liked how they did her character originally. She's, and I get they build a relationship, whatever, but I, I really like that aspect of her character. So I really like her in Iron Man too. I like that mysteriousness that she just comes out of here. Like here she is this whole assassin. And once she was undercover, like you see her as someone else, you see her really playing into those roles of I lived how many different lives. Yeah. Really quick, there was one last, um, and I know you and I have talked about this before. There was one last um, example of comedy that I think you and I hold up as like one of the gold standards of comedy scenes in the MCU. And that is the Tony Pepper happy scene where they're in the car <laughs> in the grand and the on literally on the raceway of the Grand Prix, and all Tony wants is the suitcase with his suit. And Pepper's, I mean, she's losing it. Happy's trying to smash Vanko into a fence. There's just so much going on. I just love their dynamic in this scene. It never fails to bring me joy. I agree. I also completely think that the three of them are a great trio, as much as I think the entirety of the Cap Quartet is my favorite thing. Like, I think they play off Vito so well. They obviously have such an established relationship, which is what I think I like even more is that you know, you know they've all known each other for so long. And I, it's just, it's pure amusement to me. I like that Happy was really involved in this movie. Yeah. Um, it makes it, me sad in later movies when he kind of 
I mean, they bring him back for Spider-Man. I'm so happy they were able to do that. But right. definitely, I think in Cap 3, he very much, I mean, he's in a coma the whole time. So like, Iron Man? Yes, sorry. In Iron Man 3, he's in a coma for most of the movie. So he right. very much takes a backseat. I do love, and we're not going to get too far into Iron Man 3, but just related to having kind of the backseat, he does take, I think it's hilarious that line where he's like, well, everybody laughed at me because I told them I was Iron Man's bodyguard. And I just think it's so funny. And then you compare it to like this scene that we're talking about where he really is protecting Tony by running his car into this man who has electrical whips and is trying yeah. desperately to kill Tony while he's completely defenseless because Pepper's holding the suitcase like it's her life when really it's Tony's life that like yeah needed. <laughs> well I really like in this movie Rhodey's prevalence that comes in however I will say for good half of the movie I was mad at him and I don't remember feeling that way before but I did and I get it okay Tony was being like totally reckless he usually is but I was like, what is wrong with you? Because well, you you helped create some of the problem that happened at the expo. Yeah. And I think what I think this gets to what you were talking about with the arc with Rhodey, where he has that kind of more focus on like obviously the military is very focused on following orders and it's rigid. And like that's what makes it work. And I think Rhodey follows that rigidity in the first movie and the second movie. But then as you see him in later movies, he kind of loosens up. And that's where I was saying he learns to, like, work Tony a little better and, like, get him where he needs to go by compromising where he feels he can and yet standing his ground where he feels he can't. Whereas here, I feel like he's constantly pushing Tony back and not giving him those, like, I guess if you want to call them, like, little wins in their argument to make Tony feel like he's not completely being told what to do because in his essence – Tony's like a a five-year-old, you know, if you give him a little bit, he'll be satisfied. But if you're constantly telling him no, that's when he, you know, lashes out and he, you know, throws a birthday party and gets super drunk in the Iron Man suit. Like, that's when Tony acts out. Yeah. No, I agree. And I I really like the fight scene. I know I said this a little bit earlier, but I really like the fight scene in this this film. Um, I like the concept behind it because I really like the idea that the suits are not necessarily the Iron Man suits themselves, but the same concept is being used as a weapon, which is exactly kind of what Tony tried to avoid it from ever happening, yeah. but yet at the same time enabled it to. Yeah, um, which I just, not to cut you off, but that sparked something in me and I got to get it out. You talked about Rhodey potentially coming back, and I think one of the properties that he's rumored to be back in is, what do they call them, the Armor Wars? which is all about Tony's tech falling into the wrong hands. So it's so interesting that, like, the movie in which Tony takes up the mantle as a war, uh, war machine is then kind of the theme then directly translates into the show that he'll be coming back into. And I would imagine be having a pretty large role in, given that Tony is no longer around and somebody has to kind of manage this technology. And, and who better than the man who's been in it for, you know, at this point, 15 years yeah no I agree and I um I just think it's very interesting the that we're going to see that played out more and I liked seeing it initially how you know with someone else with the wrong intentions how quickly things could go wrong and I mean obviously I have to point out the cute little easter egg that it's spider-man and the little iron man and yeah I love that oh so good I'm so happy 
they confirmed that that was Peter Parker because it just gives that that whole I don't know that whole scene so much more richness. I love it. Yeah, and I I just think you know we see a step even in like Pepper and Tony's relationship at the end there. I oh my god, I love the roof thing. Everybody's like, get your own roof. Like I literally am like, <laughs> and that is one of my fave. Um, that was such a good line. Rhodey has great little one-liners, and I I love seeing like even when he sits there and Tony does the bit like that thing that takes out all the guys. Yes, and he's like, maybe you should start with that one. <laughs> like, why yeah. did all this work when you could have just cut their heads off to begin with? Yeah, and I just I also think that while Rhodey maybe went about getting in the suit not necessarily the right way in my opinion, I think. Tony would not have trusted anyone more. I couldn't agree more. I mean, other than literally Pepper, which we quite literally then also see her. I mean, not even in, we kind of see a, a like, a hint to it in Iron Man 3, mm-hmm. but then we literally see it in Endgame. So I think out of all the people, I think Brody's one of the only people that I think, whether or not he did it because Tony gave him a suit or not, was that he would actually trust being another Iron Man, or being in, at least in another Iron Man suit. I got it. Oh my god. That when you were talking about Rhodey being in the war machine suit, it reminded me of the the ex-wife that missile oh. from Hammer. And when it just like he's like, this one, this is a real doozy. I call it the ex-wife. And then he shoots it and it just kind of fizzles out in the water. And Tony just looks at him and deadpans, hammer tech. <laughs> and it's he was like, like, yeah. Like, my tech is unparalleled, and you went with this buffoon. Like, it just adds to the level of like incompetence of Justin Hammer, and it just so good. Well, and I also just love that during this entire scene, these two are having a complete conversation that is so funny because they're just shooting. Like, I think it's even funnier for me because personally, my relationship with my best friend is the same. Like, sometimes we literally sound like we hate each other if you don't know our relationship, and I just. They're literally fighting and they're coming at each other in just these little like like just one liners and I just think it's so funny like where they're in an entire fight scene and yet I'm laughing my butt off. Yeah, like, I'm so entertained the entire time because they are just making me laugh so hard. And I think going back to the whole like recasting thing, and obviously we we know there was a lot of drama behind the scenes between you know Terrence Howard and all of that. I just think. Don Cheadle's chemistry with RDJ is just so much more palpable than it was with Terrence Howard. And I think that's why Rhodey becomes such a beloved character is because RDJ and and Don Cheadle work and they make Rhodey, his relationship with Tony is deeper and richer and funnier. And that makes Tony, or not Tony, that makes Rhodey much more lovable, I think, than the more straight-laced way that Terrence played him. So I, to your point, like, could Terrence Howard, I don't, I don't want to say anything against Terrence Howard. I think he's a great actor, but I think this role was not right for him because I could not necessarily see him pulling off that banter while doing, you know, that, you know, I just think, again, nothing against Terrence Howard. He's a fantastic actor, but Don Cheadle was meant for this role. And, you know, scenes like that just further exemplify why exactly he's Rhodey and will forever be Rhodey with the exception of that little blip that's Iron Man 1. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just, this is in a little bit of a different direction, but I just want to air it. I said my biggest complaint about this movie earlier. So I just, and I don't like to be that person, but there's always one thing for me personally that always strikes me. Um, and that, like I said earlier, is the whole, you know, Ivan's entire thing was about his dad. 
um, and Tony's dad. So that fell flat to me why he came about. I think they saved the movie by bringing in Hammer and all of that. But I truly think had they just gone with Ivan being the bad guy and the big bad of that movie, I think the movie itself would have fallen flat. Because I think I didn't see his reasoning because I don't know the background. So I didn't really see it as, oh, this makes a lot of sense as to why he's the villain. And they could make a whole movie behind this. It's not compelling. Yeah, exactly. And I um. Uh, so I really, truly think they saved the movie with bringing Hammer into how and how it all went about. And Ivan is controlling all these bots now. And, you know, just everything that goes on. I genuinely was like, good job, Marvel, because I think you saw that that maybe wasn't the strongest villain you could have. And you made him into an even stronger one by having him take on a different. Yeah, his vendetta is the same, but he took it about in a very different way. And I really, really like that. And I so. While that wasn't yet my biggest complaint at the same time, it was a great compliment to Marvel for how they really turned the movie around and made it yet into a very good movie. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because we had brought up Killmonger before, and Killmonger 2 is is a is a villain driven by the sins of the father, right? Mm-hmm. He's driven to hate his cousin because of the action of his uncle to kill his father. He hates T'Challa because T'Chaka killed his father, whose name unfortunately escapes me. Yeah, and at the end of the day, T'Challa got everything that he didn't. Yeah, and so, I'm sure Ivan feels the same way about Tony. Right, right, yeah. So well, That's a valid point. You know, the, it, there's actually a lot of parallels, but I think, to your point earlier, seeing the actual murder of Killmonger's father by T'Chaka gives me that emotional connection to understand him. Yeah. I see... Howard ripping off Vanko's dad. So I'm not as emotionally invested in this vendetta. And I think it would, you know, um, this is just my own theory. It's entirely possible that Marvel took a look at the criticisms that they got from Iron Man 2 and that whole father's sins vendetta thing or that whole plot point and were able to say, oh, well, if it fell flat because they weren't able to identify with this character because X, Y, Z, they didn't understand the full background, well, let, let me show them and help build that nuance in the villain. And so obviously there's no way to prove that, you know, in some ways Vanko was a testing ground for Killmonger and that type of motivation for a villain. But I think they were able to, because there are some very strong parallels between the two, they were able to then perfect it with Killmonger by giving, like you said, that extra contact. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, uh, and to your point, you don't know to what they maybe learn from or don't learn from, but it becomes so much better later on. I just think that they, they understand what they need to do to put into a villain. So I think that might be a bigger complaint out of a lot of the first few. Yeah. Um, it's just that the villains tend to fall a little flat in some of them, just because, especially, I think, especially because of Iron Man's Cap's entire trilogy is very, um, I don't want to say political in the way of like, you know, right, left kind of idea, but it's got a big political and governmental aspect to it. So I think regardless, that was always going to be a very interesting villain, no matter who was in it. I think Thor, you always have all that extra stuff. Of course, then you have like all the space aspects, but of course, then you have Loki, like, (laughs) you know, you have that entire idea. So I think that's very interesting all the time. And I think Iron Man, just because he doesn't, like Cap has all of Hydra, which is obviously government and all that, but. And is seated throughout his entire trilogy. Yes, exactly. And I think we can't say the same for Iron Man. 
And so I think that's why it appears that especially, honestly, I'm going to say it, almost all three of the villains to a degree fall flat. I mean, I know people have what they have to say about the third Iron Man people. It's really not one of the most beloved um, films. My least favorite, and we'll get into that why later, but yeah, yeah, I would agree. It's my least favorite by least grounds. And I I think a lot of that is because they weren't quite sure how to write Tony's villains. And they didn't know what to quite do with his villains, um, which is why I think the first two, you see so much of it based off of his father. Because it's like, well, what did Tony technically himself do yet? Then we, I think at least the third one I get a little, I feel a little, and I don't want to get into it yet, but I just want to say, I feel like there's at least a little bit more depth and it makes more sense. At least like villain wise, why he like is going, like is after Tony. Yes. Okay. Like I get that. Um, but so, and that's probably the only very positive thing I can say about the third movie, but I'll leave that where it's at. I just think the first two, especially they weren't sure of the villain and they kind of just went with it. And that's why they fell a little flat. I will say too, one thing that disappointed me with Vanko is that he doesn't use the electric whips as much as I would have liked. Like yeah. they neutralize them so quickly, but like whiplash is like, such a cool character that I wish they would have utilized. I know at this point they weren't, and we've talked about this, like phase four is so comic accurate. And yes, his, he looks, I mean, I'm, I'm not super familiar with whiplash in the comics, but he looks relatively comic accurate. You can figure it out. You yeah. know, you know who he is. Yeah. But I think they weren't at this stage quite as well developed as at staying as close to the comics as they are now. Not to say they don't deviate now, but it's, like, more purposeful deviation, I guess. But to, like, minimize Whiplash, I think, was kind of a disservice. I would have liked to see Mickey Rourke fight Iron Man a little bit more. Yeah. Well, and especially because they make a big deal about, oh, well, we see at the very beginning of the movie, oh, this tech won't be around for years, you know. Iron Man and Tony's the only one who can do it. And then they even say... You know, you told us this wouldn't be around for years. Here it is again. And then we never see it again. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, okay, well, you just, what just happened? Um, so I definitely agree. I think that's a great complaint to kind of point out. And like I said, I don't, <laughs> I will be the person who walks out with usually at least one complaint in some, once I see something multiple times, just because, especially for Marvel movies, I watch it so into it. You know, there's things yeah. I just don't miss. And once you start to watch them again and again, you start to kind of see things that are like, oh, you know, mm, this could have been better done. And to be fair, to your point you said earlier, especially phases three and four now have been very, very good. Are are there still things that could have been done better? Yes. I mean, you heard us on Loki. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You could go on Twitter and look at Loki for all you, like, that gives you your answer. But I think we're seeing, and especially since we've really, really been involved, um, it's been really in the phases that are have been a little bit mo- more cohesive, even in their own films, versus at the very beginning where it did just kind of feel like some of it was maybe just sloppy writing, if I'm being honest, and not as, oh, this is really going to matter later, so let's just kind of, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. And I think it's just growing pain, you know? Yeah. Oh, I agree. I mean, how often does Marvel talk about, and I think this is an interesting point to make about the first Iron Man, how often do they talk about Iron Man literally being their last chance? They threw yeah. all their money at that movie and said, if this movie tanks, we could have lost them forever. So thank God to everyone who went to go see that in the theaters because you saved Marvel and you are my heroes. I did not go see it in the theaters, so I did not save Marvel. But everybody who did, you saved them. 
Um, I mean, once again, we've established I was like seven or eight when it came out. So if I could, you know. I thank you all, uh, truly, from the bottom of my heart. That's not sarcasm. That's not being facetious. Thank you. But I think, you know, that movie was almost an experiment. That was, this is our last ditch effort to survive. And then, you know, they were working on finding their footing, finding their footing, finding their footing. And that just takes time, you know? So I don't begrudge them for any of the flaws that may or may not definitely exist in the first (laughs) few movies. Because I think they've, you know, learned from so many of them. And that's not to say they're perfect now. I mean, I don't love everything that happens. We didn't love everything about Black Widow. But, you know, I would say on the whole, they've improved leaps and bounds from these early movies. Not to say that they're not great movies in their own right, but they're just constantly moving, you know, to Stan's point, onward and upward, Excelsior. I agree. Do you have anything, any other thoughts on Iron Man 2? No, I am all good. All right, I think I am too. So, of course, this will now wrap up our second Marvel replay. This was all about the Iron Mans, of course, as you heard. And I know we delved a little bit on Iron Man 3, but that's just because I think we got lucky enough to have two of the movies that are in the same franchise right next to each other. So it's kind of hard not to bring in the trilogy fully a little bit, but we really hope you guys were all enjoying this. When we come back with the next episode of Marvel Replay, um, which, you know, we do in between shows and everything, um, we will be tackling both Thor and the Avengers, which are another two um, movies that go really well together. So we hope you'll join us for those and that you'll, you know, watch the movies, you know, maybe recently before you do so that you can kind of, you know, know what scenes we're referencing and everything. As always, please remember to subscribe or follow the podcast on whatever your preferred platform is. We really appreciate that. And that way, you know, whenever we come out with new episodes. Also, please remember to follow the blog. We have lots of extra content on there that we share with you, some things that we may have missed. Um, So there's also some good stuff on there as an extra channel, maybe in between some episodes. And also make sure you guys are going out onto Twitter and following us there. It's Let's Talk MFT. As I always say, and I will say to the end of my day, I love to interact with all of you guys. I love to see the memes. I like to share news that I see. And of course, every little bit, we are posting some theories we come up with. So if you're intrigued by that, always make sure to check those out because they're pretty interesting. I will say so myself. And with all the content that has already come out in Marvel and with all of it that will continue to come out, make sure to keep up with it because Marvel just blew your mind. So let's talk about it.